I'm Kay Firth-Butterfield at the World Economic Forum. And I'm Miriam Vogel with Equal AI. And this is In AI We Trust. Hello, Kay. So nice to see you. Nice to see you again, Miriam, too. What have you been up to since I last saw you? And indeed, as we won't be having a podcast for a while, what lies in your future? Oh, well, thank you for asking. Well, yesterday was good fun. I got to talk with lawyers, which, as you know, I really am trying to help support more lawyers get involved in reducing risks and supporting innovation in AI. So Berkeley Law School hosted an executive forum for lawyers, and it was really a a pleasure to talk with lawyers and hear their questions on this issue, as well as a few other forums we've had recently with lawyers. And last Thursday was such a pleasure, as you know, launching our third cohort of the badge program, where we got to hear Meredith Broussard level set on the isms in AI. And we got to hear from wonderful, engaged, thoughtful, sophisticated, AI practitioners, executives at companies who are using AI in so many different interesting ways, learn from one another and start the conversation we'll have over the next six months. So that was really a highlight. So excited about our November 2nd part of the seven session series with Kathy O'Neill, which everyone always loves because we get to work with how we create an ethical AI matrix. So it'll be very hands-on, a lot of fun and some other good talks in between. What what have you been up to and where will we be losing you to over the next few weeks? Okay, so lots. Um, Yesterday, I too spoke at that Berkeley Law event on global governance. So I, like you, um, am passionate about lawyers understanding this and being able to help in the general dissemination of responsible AI wherever they are based. And so that was a particular pleasure. I also hosted at the forum in San Francisco, Earth Species Project, which is a small nonprofit that I sit on the board of. And what we're trying to do is use AI to understand what whales say to one another as a precursor to interspecies conversation. And that's just such an amazing, wonderful use of AI, potentially. But also it's got some ethical challenges. You know, if we can teach whales to get out of the way of boats, should we? Or should we teach the boats to get out of the way of whales, for example? Um, So Dr. Ari Friedlander, who many people will know uh, from the TV series Continent 7, Antarctica, was also there. And Professor Baker whose book, The Sounds of Life, has just come out. So that was particular fun for me. And where am I going? I am going to speak in Turkey at our Centre for the Fourth Industrial Revolution there. And then on to the Centre for the Fourth Industrial Revolution in the UAE, where we are hosting this year's Smart Toy Awards. Fabulous. So many good things coming up, each of them so important in their own way. The Smart Toys Award, thinking about how AI can be helpful with children's development and making sure that it is safe and that there's all the privacy requisites built in and making sure that we have more digital AI natives. So what important work there. 
oh my goodness, listening to whales and learning how to understand them and using AI as a partner, fascinating. And what an interesting segue into our guest today. I'm very excited, as I know you are, to hear from Deputy Secretary Graves, who oversees many different bureaus that use AI, including the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, where I imagine we'll hear some other interesting AI uses going on. So let's dive in. Welcome to this week's episode of In AI We Trust. Today we are honored to be joined by the Deputy Secretary of the Department of Commerce, Don Graves. The Deputy Secretary has held a variety of prominent positions in both public and private sector, from the Executive Vice President and Head of Corporate Responsibility and Communications at KeyBank, to Deputy Assistant to the President and Director of Domestic and Economic Policy for then Vice President Biden. He's also served as the United States Representative at the G7 Global Task Force on Social Impact Investment. I'm particularly fond of the story of his own heritage and deep ties to the Department of Commerce, including his four-time great-grandparents' successful horse and buggy taxi business, as I understand it, that stood on the exact land where the Commerce Department sits today, and their son's entrepreneurial spirit that led to a premier hotel right down the street, and who became one of our nation's first Black patent holders, a function that now reports to your office and purview. Deputy Secretary Graves, we are thrilled to have you here today to discuss your work at the Commerce Department and your focus on artificial intelligence. Welcome to the show. Miriam, I am so pleased to join you to have this conversation. As you said, there are a number of things that report into the Department of Commerce, and we're focused on ensuring that we have economic success, economic opportunity that is inclusive, that is broadly based, that is for all Americans, and that we provide support for the innovation that leads to the types of advancements that allow our economy to succeed. That comes from the Patent and Trademark Office and our work at the National Telecommunications and Information Administration, as well as the National Institutes for Standards and Technology. So I could not be more thrilled to be joining you today. Thank you so much. And we'd love to talk more about some of the different agencies within your department that you just mentioned. You have a broad mandate at the Commerce Department. And as I understand it, your role as the Deputy Secretary is to operate as the Chief Operating Officer of that department, which includes a purview over everything, like you just mentioned, NTIA, as well as NOAA, NIST, ITA, the International Trade Administration, the Patent and Trademark Office referenced earlier, the Bureau of Industry and Security, several more acronyms that we love to use here in DC and, and that really serve important roles. So can you tell us about your approach to managing this expansive mission and what are some of the primary ways that your work involves governance of AI in particular? Well, it, it is a great question. A lot of people think of the Department of Commerce as the Department of Business which of course we engage with because when you think about economic growth and opportunity, you think about business, but we're also the department of data and information. I dare say we have more data components, data agencies here at the Department of Commerce than any other part of the federal government. You named a number of them. That data is what allows us to out-innovate, to out-compete the rest of the world if we use that in appropriate ways. And we at Commerce, are thinking about also the ways that this data and innovation and our economy overall works for everybody. So we're also the department of people and communities. Now we know that artificial intelligence today is 
all around us. It's in everything that we do. We all use it, whether or not we think about it or not. It's in our devices, our mobile devices. It's in personal assistance on our phones. Use it. It's if you have uh, your facial recognition technology on your phone, it's how you unlock your phone that uses AI. It's the way that we sort the pictures and people in our photos on our phones and our computers. We use it for sorting applications for hiring, for screening of doctors and for doctors to use it to screen cancer, something that I spent a bunch of time on with the Obama administration, the analysis of medical images, our diagnostics, the treatment, the prediction of weather, the improvement of our agricultural sector. So we use AI in so many different ways. And that's why we're bringing together all of the different departments or bureaus of commerce to support the work that we do as we think about the development of artificial intelligence. So I am in such a great place to drive or support the innovation because I believe that the potential of technology to improve our lives, the quality of our lives, to drive to things like curing cancer, to a clean energy future is a good thing, but it needs to be done in a fair and equitable way. So that's why we have to have this good balance of a focus on the innovation and the use of data, while also thinking about people and communities and the ways that we use these technologies, these innovations, to make sure that it's done in a way that is supportive of our people and our values. Thank you. So AI has become a driving force in the United States and the global economy. Indeed, studies indicate that AI can contribute 14% or $15 trillion to the global economy by 2030, which is very soon. Not surprisingly, with the potential benefits that can be harnessed through AI, global corporate investment in AI reached almost 94 billion last year. We want to talk to you about the minutiae of some of the risks and concerns that we all have about artificial intelligence. But before we go there, you listed a whole lot of ways in which AI was being used and touched on some of the benefits. But I wondered whether you could share with our listeners the benefits that you think AI has brought to the US economy to date and some of the areas where you expect to see AI continuing to improve and bolster our economy? It is a fantastic question. And we see AI having made huge impacts on our economy thus far. And I expect that there's going to be many, many more opportunities going forward. Just one example that I think is really applicable today, given the changes in our environment at NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, which includes the National Weather Service, we have a component that focuses on fisheries. So NOAA Fisheries is utilizing AI to help automate the detection of and identification of fish species in our video data. So there are observation systems all around our coastal waterways that are looking at our fish stocks, looking at, at our fisheries. And that data, like facial recognition technology, is able to track and detect different types of marine life to help us with supporting our fish stock assessments and to make better determinations on the uh, marine ecosystem all around our coastal communities so we can make better decisions about how we uh, restore and repair our coasts and, and our waterways, our fisheries, and ensure the long-term health of our marine ecosystem. We know that our blue economy, frankly, is going to be a significant part of our overall economy going forward. 
So there's that. There's uh, ways that we can use AI to drive patent and, and trademark inventor searches so that people understand what patents are out there. There's a whole range of things that are, that are going on. And you know, getting to ways that we think it could support a wide range of people. At the University of Maryland, their lab for applied social science research, they're using AI to help reskill returning citizens prior to their release so that we can make sure that we're helping to grow the economy and support those who are often forgotten or disconnected from our society by using AI to support those efforts. So there's a huge amount of potential for the ways that we can use AI and that AI is already driving economic growth, whether it's here in the US, uh, the work that we do in international trade and supporting our engagement around the world, uh, or, and, and su supporting communities and people, as I said, who wouldn't normally be thought of as connecting to uh, artificial intelligence. What an exciting array of examples. And it's amazing. That's just a few. I, I think we should probably spend the rest of the show hearing more about the way you're supporting AI. I mean, you went from the seabeds and, and marine life to helping people return to society safely and the workforce and everyone in between. So it's really exciting to hear what you have underway and what you're looking at. But we also know that AI is not without risk. And while it has so many useful functions for companies, for it sounds like the government and for all of us, without sufficient governance and precautions, artificial intelligence can lead to tremendous inequities, such as biased outcomes, as you well know. So can you talk about some of the risks you're most concerned about regarding AI and steps that you're taking, the department is taking, or that you would plan to take to mitigate those risks? Well, this is the conundrum that uh, all of us are dealing with right now. And frankly, it's, it's something that is broader than just AI, but it's particularly applicable in uh, the AI space and, uh, and a range of technologies. We know that there are huge opportunities to drive economic opportunity, to support innovation, and to allow the United States to outcompete the rest of the world. But to your point, if we don't do it in a way that captures the values of our society, that we make sure that it's done in a way that uh, is cognizant of the particularly harmful impacts to certain communities through bias and, and, and other challenges. We have a real problem in our hands, the exacerbation of systemic problems that have been in place for a long time. So the challenge that we face in the government is how we balance the support uh, of innovation and the promise of technologies like AI while also mitigating the potential negative consequences. So part of what we're thinking about is talking with folks in industry, talking with community stakeholders, talking uh, with academics, and making sure that we are having as many conversations as we can as we support the growth of these systems and these technologies so that we don't have the unintended consequences to individuals and, and communities. Equity, just to pick one particular component of this, is absolutely essential. It has to be at the forefront of everything that we do. And the reason I raise it, it's not just a social issue. It certainly is a social issue, but it's also an economic issue. We know that our economy, research shows that it would be $8 trillion bigger than it is right now. It's a $27, $28 trillion economy. The $8 trillion greater if we could find ways to eliminate the systemic racism that's in that economy. So 
putting equity at the forefront of the work that we're doing not only avoids bias, it also makes sure that we're using AI as a means of driving economic opportunity, using it to, to help support resumes and job openings without having bias, preventing people who should be considered for job openings from being considered simply because of the way that the algorithm is being constructed. So we have to focus on making sure that we're thinking about things like capabilities to perform as opposed to the unintended or sometimes maybe intentional biases that attach to race or gender or other issues that have no bearing on capacity. So it's, it's thinking about those more intentionally as we're doing this work, uh, but also looking again, as I said, to the practitioners, to the businesses, to stakeholders, to communities, to make sure that we are understanding what's working or what's not working more importantly, and how we can get that feedback so we can make the products and services that we're trying to support uh, reflect our values and reflect the economic opportunities and inclusivity that I think should be a part of our economy. Well, it's certainly very helpful. And we're all so grateful that you're asking those questions and that your approach is to be intentional about it and speak to uh, those who are underserved, who um, different stakeholders, different communities. And, and relatedly, I've been honored to have been appointed to chair the National AI Advisory Committee, NIAC, as we affectionately call it, that falls under your purview at the Commerce Department. You know, it's something obviously top of mind too is balancing innovation uh, and ensuring equity and inclusion. It's also, you know, each of those pieces, aside from that balance, requires so much work and intentionality. And I, if you would not mind, I would love if you could share some of your hopes for what uh, you would like the committee to accomplish that can either help support the work that you're doing and further support the continued US leadership in AI. Well, First off, I should say thank you to you and the other members of the NIAC for your willingness to serve. It is, um, th this is an unbelievably highly qualified group of individuals who bring the type of experience, the diversity of experiences that I think are going to be essential to the ways that we think about uh, supporting the development and, uh, and, and deployment of artificial intelligence. And, and the reason that I talk about that diversity of experiences is because we need to get at that balancing that I was discussing earlier. How do we support the growth and, and de development of AI as an essential part of a healthy innovation ecosystem? How do we support new products, services, and approaches to economic opportunity but we do it in a way that is safe, that ensures equitable opportunities, that uh, protects against the types of safety concerns that I think many of us uh, have had worries about, that uh, is focused on rights, protecting the rights of individuals, and that, that that's at the forefront of everything that we do, that allows us to cultivate the type of trust that is absolutely essential for not just preserving civil liberties and rights, and also enhancing safety, but making sure that people feel like this is an ecosystem that works for people, that they're not worried about giving their information away. Because if they're not willing to trust in the system and allow their data to be used, then it means that we're not going to be able to have our innovators develop new tools that can be uh, used to drive new approaches to, to growth and, and so on. 
So it is hugely important that folks like yourself and others are going to provide the president with recommendations on the state of U.S. AI competitiveness, and that we're thinking about the science around AI, and also, just as importantly, the workforce, that we have the, the talent that we need to be able to continue to drive that innovation and do it in, in a balanced way. So I could not be, as I said, more thrilled about the current makeup of the NIAC and your leadership as the, as the chair. I think it's going to allow us to, to build off of the very stable foundation that, uh, that we have in place to enhance the work that NIST is doing, and I think will help guide U.S. policy for decades to come in this space. Thank you, and thank you to Miriam as well for the work that you've been doing. We've talked about the benefits, risks, and hopes for AI, but Deputy Secretary, what do you see as some of the greatest hurdles or impediments to fulfilling our ambitions in the AI space? What is the role, if any, for the US government in overcoming these challenges? And in particular, you just mentioned trust and the need for trust for uh, citizens, for the work that we can do with AI. So hopefully you'll be able to help us with those hurdles and what is your role therein? Well, it is an absolute priority for the Department of Commerce because we have so many nexus of connection with AI that, that we have all these different components mm-hmm. that touch on AI, that touch on its use, the innovation. So the president has, uh, has issued several executive orders that are focused and one in particular that is Executive Order 13960 that was issued back in uh, previous administration in December 2020, that executive order is directing us to design, to develop, to acquire, to use uh, AI in a manner that fosters this trust that's at the core of everything and the confidence while also doing all the things that I was talking about, protecting civil liberties, civil rights, et cetera, and, and our values. We're using that executive order as a means to drive a number of the activities that we are engaged in in the department, but also in the field. So we use it for research and development to build out new capabilities. We publish inventory. So taking AI cases uh, from uh, the International Trade Administration, US Patent and Trademark Office, NOAA, the National Telecommunications and Information Administration, which which manages Spectrum, which is implementing high-speed internet connectivity to every household in the country, And the Minority Business Development Agency, the sole uh, agency in the federal government focused on the health and long-term success of minority businesses, bringing all of those different components together to think about AI collectively will allow us to have a better approach to AI that protects against the possible pitfalls of AI, but also allows us to innovate even within the federal government on supporting AI more broadly in industry and with uh, civil society. Thank you for that really helpful answer. 
Well, and the other piece here is we're talking about AI. So we know that it does not operate within borders. And likewise, we cannot govern it within our own borders alone. There's clearly a need to be mindful of and coordinated with, to the extent possible, our allies abroad. I know there's several efforts underway, including the Trade and Technology Council, the TTC, which was launched last year, with the specific focus of working with the EU to develop innovative and trustworthy AI systems based on our shared democratic values. It would be wonderful to hear from you a little bit more about what it looks like to have democratic values in AI in practice. And on the flip side, global perspective also includes competition. And, you know, I know you are mindful of AI work in China as well. Uh, so could you also share your perspective on advantages that the U.S. and allies bring to this, quote, AI race? And, and what can we do in the U.S. and, and with among our allies to ensure that we are prepared for this challenge of paramount importance? Well, the, the most important thing for us to do is to actually show up and to engage in conversations. And, and that's the thing that we've been hearing around the world as we talk with our counterparts is that the U.S. is actually back and people are really pleased with the fact that we're having these conversations, whether it's the Trade and Technology Council uh, in Europe or uh, our work with UK, Canada, Australia, India and Japan, the Quad Partnership the work that we're doing in the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, or in a range of multilateral and plurilateral organizations like the ITU, International Telecommunications Union. I'll come back to that in a moment. These conversations are critically important. In fact, the very first dinner that I attended in my position uh, was with the EU ambassador and a number of uh, representatives of the European Union. And the conversation that we had at that dinner was about AI and privacy and innovation and how we get this balance right. So it's on the top of minds of all of our trading partners, all of our allies and partners all around the world. At the same time, we have what I think you would suggest is an AI race around the world that, that there are a number of countries, including our adversaries, who are driving towards a certain structure of AI for the world that is not necessarily compatible with our own values and may actually undermine our ability both to protect civil rights and, and liberties and our ability to innovate and not compete the rest of the world. So as I said, I was at the International Telecommunications Union just a few weeks ago where we were very lucky. I, well, I, I won't say lucky because I was fortunate to, to lead the delegation at the ITU but this was months and months of work on behalf of the U.S. people where the federal government engaged with our partners and essentially lobbied to get Doreen Bogdan Martin, an American, the first woman elected as the secretary general of the International Telecommunications Union. Why is this important? Because if you think about a free and open internet, if you think about the ways that we develop AI and the, the systems, the regulatory system in, in the international community, you have to think about the ITU at the core. Now, you could not have had a more stark comparison between Doreen, who's worked in the ITU for years, who's worked on digital connectivity, who's focused on innovation in the right way, versus the competitor who's from Russia and had worked for Huawei and had a much starker approach to 
the way that the ITU should move forward. Fortunately, we had an overwhelming response and Doreen was elected, but it's that type of engagement that is absolutely crucial for us to make sure that we have a, not just a US system that works for us, but an international system that is working, that is balanced, as I said. So I now want to take our conversation on to jobs at the World Economic Forum. Our research shows that as many as 85 million jobs will be displaced by 2025. And yet in a recent survey, nearly half, that's 46% of businesses, reduced upskilling opportunities in the last six months. So three questions really for you on this jobs topic. First, what would you say to those who are concerned that AI will replace their jobs? Second, what steps do you need to take in the US government and in collaboration with the private sector to ensure our economy and workforce can adapt to emerging technologies? And lastly, you were talking about ensuring equity and building a more inclusive US economy. So how can we ensure that the AI systems we do build are levers to support and increase opportunities for marginalized communities as opposed to drivers of further inequality and discrimination? Wow, those are amazing questions. And I think they're questions that all of us are, are thinking about these days. I, I think part of the answer to uh, your questions are um, making sure that our workforce and our data are AI ready, in addition to us being AI ready, that we need to develop the standards and approaches to make sure that our systems have been thoughtful about the impacts that AI will have, that an equitable workforce is trained in the way to use AI, meaning that, that every community has to understand and be prepared for the use of AI in every segment of the economy. This is not just limited to, for instance, financial services or to the cell phone makers of the world who are building it into their systems. We have to make sure that we're building the right type of data enterprise architecture, the data storage optimization and accessibility. We have to think about all of these things proactively now. Just as, a, as an example at NOAA, the Center for Artificial Intelligence is developing a workforce that's being trained to leverage and to maintain uh, comprehensive AI capabilities. And this year we're building, a, we're developing a public digital library of educational materials that's gonna provide what we call learning journeys through AI development and use. Those journeys capture the lessons that are learned by the community that uh, we think can be prevented in a discoverable framework, the narrative, the code and the data that could be used by a whole range of folks in diverse uh, experiences. So it's being very thoughtful about uh, the ways that we develop our standards, our guidance, our guardrails, if you will, ahead of time and engaging stakeholders and being very transparent. The, the more that we are closed, the less that people will trust and the less that people will understand what's actually being developed. What encouraging answers. I really want to continue this conversation, but I know that we need to let you go govern the country through all the work that you have to do today. So if you don't mind, one question we like to close with each episode where we take away the boundaries of reality that currently exists and ask you if, if you had a magic wand and you could achieve any one wish to help us realize responsible AI, what would that wish be? That is a really great question. If I had one wish, it's how we ensure that we 
have a more holistic approach to developing and using AI responsibly. It's making sure that we are as thoughtful as possible uh, as AI technology is developing so that we're getting that balance right that we talked about at the beginning that, that allows for public trust, uh, security and safety while we're driving that innovation. And I think that, that if we do that in the right way, it would democratize the way that AI is being developed and designed across not just the US, but across the globe, and would put us in a position where we can reap the benefits of AI without falling prey to the challenges, the biases, and I think the, the dark side of AI. But that's a big wish. So uh, hopefully we can, we can get there over time. A big wish, but it sounds like given some of the many levers you have at the Commerce Department and across the government, there is some hope that we can help achieve this reality. So thank you, Deputy Secretary Graves, for all the work that you're doing to support an innovative and inclusive economy and AI. And thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today. Well, Kay and Miriam, I could not be happier to have been able to spend a little bit of time with you. Hopefully we'll get the chance to do it again. And I look forward to learning more from you all, the experts and folks who are listening about ways that we can better enable innovation while getting that balance right. Thank you so much. Well, Kay, as we expected, the Deputy Secretary had so much to illuminate about his work on AI, what the Commerce Department's doing, what his passion is in this space, and, and what we can hope to see coming from the Commerce Department and the U.S. government. What were some of the main takeaways for you? Well, interestingly, you know, at the top of this podcast, we were talking about Earth species and talking to whales. And sure enough, the Deputy Secretary did talk about the blue economy. And so obviously that was really interesting for me and the uses of AI to protect marine life and to, to create a better economy is, is just very close to my heart. So I couldn't not start there. I think the other things that really stood out for me are where he talked about the guardrails needing to be placed in the right place, talked about trust, you know, the things that really make us happy to hear and to hear it coming from someone who's so eminent and in a position to actually do something is, is even more valuable. And, you know, I should have mentioned that tomorrow we will be releasing our last report on the use of responsible facial recognition technology by law enforcement. And I'm very focused on trust and citizen trust, which again, the Deputy Secretary talked about as being so vital to the future progress of AI. And then I think in conclusion, the other thing that's really important is what he was talking about, about equitable education and producing those journeys in education so that everybody can benefit from progress, not only in the United States, but also sharing them globally. That's just so important. What about you, my dear? 
Well, I had a similar reaction of being grateful that someone in his position had so many of the concerns that we share top of mind and that he's both in a position to and, and demonstrated several different lines of effort to ensure that we're taking action. I loved his message. The U.S. is ready. We are AI ready. We are leading on AI. We will continue to lead in this space and that we're taking necessary steps with our workforce, with our standards creation, working with allies to make Make sure that we maintain a leadership uh, and also underscoring his point of view of the importance of what is at stake here, where we need to ensure that AI is mindful of our privacy concerns, our civil rights concerns, the civil liberties and, and human rights that could be removed, that could be taken away without us even knowing it if we're not very mindful of what's being baked in. And so really outlining in such an important way what is on the line here and the different ways through the TTC and otherwise that we are moving forward quickly on ensuring that we are taking all the right steps. I also was very interested to hear his putting a numeric value on bias in our society, finding that an $8 trillion opportunity lost, that communities are not benefiting, the economy overall is, is being hindered by not doing enough to ensure that we are eliminating racism and, and thinking about how AI both could be a tool to perpetuate racism, or if we are intentional and thoughtful, that we can help it as a tool to, to support our efforts to end racism. So, so grateful that innovation, the work with the Patent and Trademark Office, the interesting work that we've talked about we, under the marine layer with NOAA, and really both the business management and, and data information management that he talked about is in such good hands of people that have AI and inclusivity top of mind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I certainly one of the things that I have been thinking about recently is, you know, if an algorithm that surveils reaches a 95% accuracy, that's great. But you still need that consideration of whether it's appropriate. And so I, I definitely heard from him that that struggle with the balance there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I will look forward to hearing more out of him in the Commerce Department and more out of you. I will look forward to reading that report that you just mentioned on uh, law enforcement use of facial recognition technology and all the other things to come from your travel. So we will very much miss you, but we will look forward to hearing about all that you've learned in your travels when you return. Likewise. Take care. Subscribe to or download our podcast on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. We always welcome your feedback. And if you like the podcast, please rate us or give us a review. To learn more or get involved, visit us at www.equalai.org and www.weforum.org. And a special thanks to NP Agency, without whom this podcast would not be possible. 